0: So we are in the series that deals with the fruit of the Spirit, and Pastor actually texted me a few days ago and asked me to deal with goodness and meekness, and so, of course, my first response is yes, you never tell the man of God no. Young man in the ministry, when the man of God asks, you say yes, always. When the Lord asks, you hear the call, and then the next thing that you probably need to do is go to chat GPT and have it write you a sermon if you don't know anything about the subject matter. So tonight we'll be dealing with goodness and meekness in Galatians 5 and 22 and verse 23 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And Pastor Carson has been reading Honestly, I probably say this about every single verse that I read, my favorite verse, but he's been reading my favorite verse at the beginning of these Bible studies, Psalm 119 and verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Could we bow our heads and maybe even lift our hands tonight? Because it is a Wednesday night, Brother Muse, but I feel the spirit of the Lord in this house tonight, and I just feel like he wants to minister something deeply into our souls tonight. Could you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you now. God, we need your presence. We need your anointing, Lord, over these next few minutes. Lord, your word is already anointed, God, and we could just stand and read your word and it would have an impact, Lord. It would not return unto you void. But I pray that you would touch these lips of clay, God, and you would touch these ears tonight as we share things from your word, God. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'll try to keep them coming at you pretty slow until we get warmed up at least. Job chapter 5, verses 8 through 9 says this, I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Ecclesiastes eight seventeen says this, Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labored to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yet farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Paul says to the church at Rome in chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. The psalmist in Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable and more verses and more verses could stack one upon another. But we'll read one last passage from the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints. That is the breadth or what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. That sounds a little bit like overflowing to me. In verse 20, he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. We've just taken a short snippet tonight Brother McElhaney to talk about the magnificence of our God, the majesty of our God, the omniscience, the omnipotence, the greatness, the bigness, the eternality. Isn't he wonderful? Aren't you glad you know who Jesus is? Aren't you glad you're not just wandering out there in the darkness trying to find your way? But we serve a wonderful God. It takes me back to 1997 during the OG days before Dr. Anderson was Dr. Anderson. It was just master's degree Anderson at that time. And he was still leading the choir in his pose. And you ought to go on Spotify tonight if you've never enjoyed the record, Glory and Honor. You think I'm kidding. I remember that song, Oh Lord, Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The Sopranos would kick it off. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth! Altos, a little bit lower. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is Tenors, and we had barely made it through puberty, <laughs> by the way. But bro, we were sounding, we were sounding bassy. What about this one? Fair is Lord Jesus. Ruler of all nature. Man, you felt the Lord when you're singing about majesty and fairness and goodness and bigness. And I don't ever want to discount his majesty and his greatness, but let me tell you something tonight. He's good. Oh, man, he's good. He's magnificent. He's omnipotent. He's the all-time undisputed champion of love. He's the beginning and he's the end. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He's the almighty. But brother Fridley, you know he's good. You know he's good. And while they're connected, it's not always the same thing. And I'm glad that he's fair. And I'm glad that he's majestic. But man, I am glad that he is good. I think I might have been 6 years old when I learned what good really means. I was I think it was in Dayton, Ohio, and my dad was at a softball tournament. We're in Dayton, Ohio. It's the middle of summer. It's probably 137 degrees in the sun. And my dad finishes like his fourth or fifth game and you know, we're all sitting over in, under the shade tree and we're just watching the game and he comes over and he's sunburned and he's hot and he's de- dehydrated and he grabs, and I'm not sure what we call it now in the Midwest, because I spent time in New England and sometimes my dialect is all messed up. They call it soda up there. Is it pop here still? Soda, there's probably gonna be a debate later. Okay, <laughs> this is very important topic, I can just tell. It's like Democrat-Republican soda pop, it's like all the same, like somebody's about to get hurt. My dad reaches into this cooler and he pulls out a bottle of Sunkist. I don't know if they make it anymore, but they make Crush, Orange Crush. It was like the OG Orange Crush. And it was like the commercial, it, the, the bottle was sweating and it was dripping off and my dad was just drenched. And he, it was a glass bottle, by the way, and he took that bottle and popped the cap off because I think it tasted better in the glass straight from the cooler. And brother Oliver, he just tipped that thing back and he, he slammed that thing. And then he goes, Mmm, boy, that's good. And that began a definition of goodness in my life. Yes, God is good. And Psalm chapter 23 says, Surely the goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That sounds good. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for the good, to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Titus chapter two, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. If you'll grant me just a little bit of artistic liberty in these expressions, if the oven is his greatness, then a cake is his goodness. If the awesome power of the Red Sea parting is his greatness, then maybe the cool shade of that pillar of cloud under the hot desert sun is his goodness. And yes, the world is full of evil, but God is still good. Yes, there is opposition to our faith, and it seems like we're pushing molasses up a sandhill sometimes, just trying to hold the fort and keep the faith. But God is still pouring out of his goodness. He is still saying, come, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Yes, there is unprecedented spiritual warfare, but I've come to minister into someone's soul tonight that his goodness is running after. Oh yeah, it's running after me. It's in my rear view mirror. It's in my side mirrors. When I lay my head on my pillow at night, I wake up in the morning to the goodness of God. I lay my head down to the goodness. I wake up in the middle of the night. He's still good. In the case of an emergency, when you can't even call 911, aren't you glad to know that he's good? He is so good. And so if we're gonna talk about the fruit of the Spirit being goodness, we have to know that that doesn't come from us. But his goodness is something that you can share with the world. We can't talk about sun-kissed bottles and we can't talk about how good he is just here behind these four walls. But it's our job to spread out our limbs and let our leaves grow and say to the world, look, there really is a real God. And he really is good. There will be times for theological expositions. There will be a time for a dissertation. But every once in a while, you just gotta grab somebody by the hand and say, you know what, it's as simple as God is good. And I love you and I'm praying for you. He's really good. I know things are complicated and there's a lot going on, but let me tell you, he's good, he's good, king. He's good, bro. He's good, he's still good. And the fruit of the spirit should be cultivated in us. Let me just say this statement, and I, and I don't mean the, this to be any way near judgmental. He's still good. When you have the Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit. So if you don't see the goodness in you, then maybe we have a little bit of work to do tonight. I, I almost brought a fruit pie. And the reason is, Scripture says, you know, when you come to the altar and you have ought, leave your gift there, go take care of it, and then come back. I'm looking around to see an individual because apparently on Southport Road in Emerson, about three weeks ago, there was someone driving my vehicle that looked remarkably like me. And there was a person in front of my vehicle that appears as if they were gonna sit through a green light. And as the story goes, somebody mashed on their horn for a long time until they realized that the car in front of them at a Calvary Tabernacle window decal. <laughs> and I'm not gonna say the person's name out loud unless that person raises their hand because I don't wanna say their name and them not be there because I owe you a fruit pie. I'll find you. I'll, I have special skills. I will find you. We were in Turkey recently, and we didn't want to go as often as we did, right, Sister Marshall? But we went quite a few times to Turkey. Supposed to go once, I think. And then, of course, you know, I go to sleep on an airplane on Friday night, and I wake up next morning to some text messages. Brett Healy's texting me, Mark Trano's texting me, my brother in law's texting me. And they're like, bro, Hamas just attacked Israel. And they're, all three of them said the exact same thing. We don't really care what happens to you, but make sure Sonia and the girls are safe. <laughs> they didn't say that. I guess I gotta get some more fruit pies. <laughs> but there's a little side note. We were on this boat, and uh, one morning we woke up, and we were having breakfast, and it was, uh, it, was, it was a pretty cool moment. We looked out, and on the horizon was the USS Gerald Ford. It had just been sent to the Mediterranean, just days after Hamas attacked Israel. Seeing a nuclear-powered submarine in action on its way to a potentially global conflict. I mean, it's one thing to sit in your home next to the fireplace in some flannels with a thick book and a cup of coffee and listen to Lee Greenwood on the radio. God bless the USA. It's another thing altogether to put the uniform on every day and not know whether or not you're coming home. I know we just celebrated it, but can we give a hand to our brothers and sisters, the men and women that fight for us? So we're in in Bodrum, Turkey, and we're just going through this shopping bazaar, because you know, I mean, me and shopping, I mean, I think I'd rather snack on razor blades than shop, but my three brothers texted me told me to keep an eye on the girls, and we're just going through, and there are lots of, lots of funny stories and things that happened, and I was probably more observant than ever because I was on chill mode. I had my crepes. I had my Turkish coffee. It was seven hours ahead of work, so I was just like, I'm totally chill, and you hear people arguing all over the place, and I look over, and one of the guys that are with us is arguing with this vendor, and the vendor is like, no, it's real, and our guy's saying, no, it's fake, and this other guy's saying, no, it's real, and the other guy's saying, no, it's fake, and they went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until finally... The Turkish guy says, No, my friend, okay, it is not fake, it is replica. <laughs> you know, you come to Decatur Township with that, I'm probably gonna push back. But I'm in a Muslim country, they're about to call for prayer, World War III is about to break out, I'm pretty flexible at this point. It looks authentic to me, bro. And then on this, on this hanger, I saw this, this hoodie, and I think the media team has a slide. <clears throat> Does that go together? It's, it's replica. Now, come to find out, apparently there is a collab. So I... I've put my foot in my mouth so many times in my life that I've learned to use Google like on speed dial. Just check. Before I get all smart mouth, just check. Cause you, like they don't make that many fruit pies in the city, just ease back. And so apparently there was this collab, but instantaneously my, my radar goes off. There's something fake about this. These things don't go together. I mean, to me, in the moment, I literally had these thoughts go through my head. Well, that's like saying, have you seen my new Nike New Balance? <laughs> like, no, it's, it's real. Nike New Balance. Now, let me tell you something. Nothing says youth and champion and sporty and winning like Nike. Can I just minister something to the IBC guys tonight? If you're coming up a little short on the Riz, some of that. Nothing says champion like those. And nothing says dad. (laughs) Like these. Now I know some of you are like, well, how can that work? Because those are safety boots. No, (laughs) they're not safety boots. But I have heard that if you take the insides out of a toaster and take the metal shell, it fits right up in there like no problem, and now you got your safety boots. So when we were in Canby, Brooke Chrysler, she's married now and has kids and she lives in Ohio. She was our youth leader for a few years and she did a tremendous job. And man, she loved those kids. Let me tell you something. Man, she loved those kids and she did a tremendous job. One year, it was her dad's birthday. And she said, I'm gonna get my dad some 680s or 608s. some new balances. And I knew the answer to the question before I asked it, but I was just sort of having some fun. And I said, Brooke, when you buy your dad his new skins, does he throw his old ones away? Of course the answer is no, because you've got your grass cut in new balances, and you've got your creek wading new balances, and you got your EDWs, your everyday (laughs) wares. And then you got your birthday New Balances, which are for formal occasions. (laughs) And the reason it's funny is because it's spot on. Now, The new ones are for formal. But if your birthday and Father's Day happen to be kind of close together, it's possible if all the stars align that you could have two new pair of new balances. That second pair goes on the top shelf. For weddings... Date night. Those are your February 14th New Balances. What's this all about, Brother Mac? Did you come to do stand-up comedy? No, no, no. I'm just having some fun, and I wanna try to cement something in your mind tonight. There is a real and there is a fake. And you can tell the difference. Let me tell you something. For the trainer the people in this world, they might be lost. But they're not dumb. And they can spot a fake a mile away. And when they come through our doors or we go to their coffee shop, they're just wondering, is this a little bit of the real or is this just another fake? The single mama wants to know who's just hanging on by a thread, just trying to keep her babies afloat. She's tried church after church after church. Is It's just, just another one that has a form of godliness, but do they deny the power thereof? Is his goodness really here? Is his power really here? Is his anointing really here? Or is this just another fake? The alcoholic wants to know if he comes to an altar, and it wasn't one of those things where it was like a switch and all of a sudden the desire goes away because it doesn't for everybody. He just wants to know, do I have some brothers in this house that will help me on my long journey to recovery? What he wants to know, he already knows God is good. He's already felt. He already knows that God is great. He's already felt that. He wants to know, is there some goodness in the people of God? Is there some fruit of the spirit that prevails? Is there something that will endure? We want them to know that there isn't a perfect person in this place, but that's why they'll fit in. Because of his goodness. There was a couple I met just recently, young couple, shook their hands, hugged their necks. They were going to this church. It was just a work of God that they were there. And I just asked them kinda of how it came about. And they said they went to another major denomination in their city. And the leader there sat them down and had them open up their finances and just wanted to know like, where they'd been. If you claim to be a part of this church, where have you been? And you know, if you'll start paying tithes for a period of time, we'll meet again, then we'll evaluate. Let me tell you something, hungry, lost and dying souls, they're not looking to see if they can gain entrance into another social club. They're not looking to join a click. They're not looking to pay another subscription or a membership. They just want to know, is the Lord really good? Are the people of God still being used? Is this the place where I can be a part of the body? Will they welcome me in? Will they give me a place to sit? Will they pray for me? Will they let me in their groups? Will they love me even if I fall? I can just tell you right now, he's been working in my heart and I have no goodness in me. There is none good but one. But when I let the Holy Ghost take over, when I bury my face and in my hands and I say, God, I just can't do this without you. Help me be real. Let your goodness shine forth in me. Help me be good. Trying to hurry. Next slide, please, team. Meekness, say it with me, is not weakness. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart but he was the furthest thing from weak he was the furthest thing from weak you can't take the beating like he took if you're weak you can't face the Pharisees and Sadducees and judgmental white sepulchers without starting fresh with a new race of human beings if you're not subduing your strength and your power because you know you have a higher mission. In John chapter 2 and verse 13, the Jews Passover was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those that sold oxen, sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And we had made a scourge of small cords. He drove them all out of the temple. The sheep, the oxen, poured out the changers money over through the tables. He said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence that not my father's house. Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. His disciples, remember that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then the Jews answered and said unto him, what sign showeth thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? In other places, it's like, by what authority do you do this? And if I'm Jesus, and if I'm in Decatur Township, and not in a Muslim country when World War III is about to take place, I'm like, it's none of your business What authority. Here's your sign. I'm standing here by myself and you're standing out there and your tables are laying over there and your doves have flown off and your sheep have been let loose. You've made this place a den of thieves. It is written that my father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. That takes strength. Was he meek and lowly in heart? Yeah. But meekness is not weakness. Neither is meekness ignoring yourself and your own needs, but it's not being overly occupied with yourself. It's the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. Let me say it like this. It makes sense in my head, so if I say it and it doesn't make sense, I'll apologize and I'll move on. Meekness is challenging for those who hold dual citizenship. And I'm not talking nation to nation. I'm talking when you're partly here and your mind's partly in heaven. Meekness is kind of tough because you've read the back of the book and you know the end of the story and you know the strength and the violent take it by force and I'm a king's kid and I'm a son of God and I've got strength and authority. It's tough. It's difficult when you're trying to live in an intangible dimension, but also you're dealing with the physical. It's just like a tearing a ripping a retching. It's tough when you're trying to be both spiritual, but yet you're bound by some things that are carnal. How does this, how does this really work then? Let me, tell you, let me tell you how meekness can play out very practically. So let's take it from a theoretical idea down to how it can work for us. When new, and we do a great job of this, so I encourage you to do more, and I encourage you to be sensitive to the Lord if he's guiding you to do more. When new people come in, help them integrate. Because we know where the bathrooms are, and we know how service goes, and we have our favorite seats and our favorite pews, and we know how everything works, and we know the program, and we know all the language, like you know sanctification and justification and you know, apostolic and all that. But when they come in, it's like they're moving to a new nation. They're trying to get to a city whose builder and maker is God, just like we know about. And it's our responsibility to kind of subdue our own desires and our own space and the things where do we need ministry? Yes, we need ministry. But if we're going to be meek, if we're going to let the strength of God pour through us, then we have to subdue ourselves, brother King, and make sure that we're ready to serve others at the drop of a hat. It's about surrendering our own rights for the benefit of someone else. That's what meekness is. It's not weakness. It's actually strength. You're pushing yourself down so that you can bless someone else. That's meekness. And as an American, that's really tough to do because we love our independence and and we love our freedom. We're not looking to be bound, but Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, right smack in the middle of the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It means, Blessed are those that give up their rights to the one who actually owns your rights anyway. There's a challenge. Rare occasions, I think maybe I've seen meekness in my own life. And when it happens, it's kind of like learning a new skill, like gripping that golf club for the first time sounds like, feels like the worst, like you can't possibly be serious, this is how I hold that club. Until you get some muscle memory. If you were to learn how to write with your left hand, at first, hideous. But after a while, it sort of becomes second nature. You know what happens when meekness is flowing through us? We experience composure of soul. There's a peace. If there's chaos in your life, can I tell you, pray for meekness. Because you will probably never, Brother Roberts, be able to manhandle the chaos out of your life it's gonna, we've been talking about time management and young marriage, you will never stop the unending river and stream of things that you need to think about. You'll never stop it. But if you have meekness, then you can just say, hey, wait a minute, this is not really my problem anyway. You can say like Mary did in John chapter two, hey, whatever he says for you to do, I'm resigning and whatever he says, do it the best advice you're ever gonna hear, whatever the Lord says, if it's a big calling in your life, if it's just a little tweak in your heart, with meekness, subdue yourself. I'm always down for a good brawl. Always. Always. But Titus 3.2 says this, speak evil of no man. To be no brawlers... The Mac, no brawlers. He's got to make it real plain for me. But be gentle. He's saying in the ESV don't hawk your horn. There'll be another green. He says, but be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Meekness is the ultimate display of strength not because of rebellion or grit or throwing elbows or defending yourself, but meekness shines through when we relegate our rights for the benefit of someone else. I just feel the word just sinking into our hearts right now. Can we just close our eyes just for a second? We're going to close in just a few minutes. This is not the closing point, but I just feel like this is hitting home for somebody right here and right now. Can you just lift up a hand, maybe both hands and close your eyes and say, God, I need some of that meekness. I need what he's talking about right now. I need some meekness in my life. God, I need your meekness. Lord, I need this fruit to pour out of me. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, check this out. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Humor me on this. How meek do you have to be if you're writing a verse saying that you're the meekest person that's ever been? Because usually it's people with great pride that want to you know, pretend to be so humble because they've got so much pride that you wouldn't want to show it because you care so much about what everybody else thinks about you. But he was so meek that in 2023, somebody was going to be reading this and I wonder if in his mind, he's thinking, hey, I'm going to write this. It sounds really self-aggrandizing, but I don't really care about myself. I wouldn't have written it. I would write something like Neil Mack was the most humble person, and he loved everyone, and he floated, and he never honked his horn, and he always paid his taxes. Moses says, I'm the meekest man that's ever walked. And that's pretty meek to not even care whether you're or not you think he's meek. You see what I'm going with that? That's crazy to me. Contrast these two events It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren, looked on their burdens. He spied an Egyptian, smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way. And he looked that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian. Meekest man. A bad day, I guess. Calvary decal person. That horn wasn't so bad, was it? That's pretty meek. That's not very meek. He kills a guy. And then in Exodus 32, he was gone a little bit too long. He goes up into a mountain. The people went completely out of their minds, crazy. The Lord says to Moses, Go get down for these people. And he says, God says, Thy people. Because at that point, God was like, I'm done with you chaps. Thy people that thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside so quickly out of the way which I commanded them that they made a molten calf. They've worshipped it. They sacrificed unto it and said, these be our gods, O Israel. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. And if it were me, I'd have been like, hey, can we get that written in stone? Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now keep in mind that the song that we sing, Father Abraham, could be Father Moses had many sons at this point. But he's like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. You know, it's amazing our mindset when we spend a little time, a little true time with God on the mountaintop. No, 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 no. no. Let's subdue what we wanna do here. Let's keep these people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel, thy servants, to whom thou sweareth by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and does all this land that I've spoken I will give you unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. It's pretty meek. Paul said, if you'll allow me to paraphrase, you people are out of your mind if you think that eating this meat offered up to these dumb idols is a problem. But he said, but if it causes my brother to be offended, I won't eat meat the rest of my life. We dove into the Chick-fil-A when we came back from Turkey. Like we slid in home base. And Paul's saying, if that causes my brother to miss out with God, that's meekness. We're closing. John chapter 19, this might be the, To me, this is the most epic story of meekness I've ever read in the scripture. John chapter 19, there stood by the cross of Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. John is taking Mary to take care of her the rest of her days. Then saith he to the disciple, behold thy mother, from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished and the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. They filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. I don't think there's a place in scripture where he took it. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, except for the verse that, follows where I just said that. He said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. When you're thirsty, you're not looking for vinegar. But there's a passage in Psalm chapter 69 and verse 21. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst... They gave me vinegar to drink. He's hanging on the cross. He's ripping through his mind like a Bible quizzer almost. I did this, I fulfilled that, I did that. Yep, check mark there, Isaiah 53, yes. Okay, 55, yes. 43, 10, yes. Okay, all of these things. Everything seems to be done now except for Psalm 69:21. No one has offered me vinegar for my thirst. Now, this is kind of, in my mind, a little bit like Briar Rabbit. Briar Rabbit says, hey, don't throw me in the briars. Don't throw me in the briars. Don't throw me in briars. I'm like, oh, well, that's where we ought to throw him. And they throw him in the briars, and he's just like, in heaven. If Jesus had said, hey, could you give me some of that vinegar? I am of the opinion that, number one, they wouldn't have given it to him for his thirst. And number two, anything that he's asking for at this point, they neglect to give him because they hate him. This was not an act of kindness. As a matter of fact, Luke 23, 36 indicates that this is a mockery more than a kindness. Could you imagine being just a few breaths away from death, having suffered the way that he suffered? And in order to display meekness, in order to relegate your own power, he should have called down legions of angels. He should have called Moses and Elijah. He should have just stepped off that cross. But he pushed up on the nails in his feet and he pulled up with his hands. There's one more thing I got to do. I'm thirsty knowing that their hatred and their vitriol and their evil would cause them to offer him vinegar out of their hatred. Man, that is meekness. You could stand tonight, we'll close. There's a little picture I wanna show you. All day long, I was calling him my nephew. He's not, he's my great nephew. (laughs) I didn't know I could be a great uncle. I'm not that great of an uncle, but I didn't know I could be a great uncle. And this little dude rocked my world the other day. We're at the park, and they had been to this little park a few times that week, and he was running around with this little friend and they climbed up high on those monkey bars, and then the friend had to leave, and they're all giggling and laughing, and, and uh, you just got to know this little dude, and they're running. He runs over to their car and says, "I saw you twice this week. I saw you twice this week." They're from West Virginia, so it was just kind of ironic that he was able to run into a friend more than once at a park during a week. That's like a big thrill for a five-year-old. And then he comes running over to his mom, and Sonia's sitting there, and I'm there on the bench, and. He's like, Mom, did you see a high wind? Did you see a high wind on those monkey bars? And he did. He was up there, and I was getting a little seasick for him. And then he looks over at me, and he goes, I'm I'm, I'm afraid of heights some days. Some days I'm not. But if I have a friend, it always makes me want to go higher. And I couldn't, I just had to write it down so fast because profoundly, he spoke to my soul. I can just tell you this, we could carry on about our business and and Lord knows he has brought us a mighty long way. Let's be apostolic, let's be Christians. But what if we could put ourselves on the back burner just a little bit? Show the world some goodness, show the world some meekness, because they're afraid of heights sometimes But if they had a friend, they would always want to go higher. We could be their friend. We could show his goodness.